Terrell, welcome to the Icons by Motiversity. You have to be addicted to bettering yourself, not for anybody else or anything else. You have to be addicted to bettering yourself. It's a relentless pursuit of greatness. And listen, if you watched football from about 2000 to 2010, you remember him. You could not take your eyes off T.O. Yet despite being one of the greatest receivers to ever play the game, Terrell's trajectory was and has been anything but typical. He grew up in a tiny town in Alabama. Good, but not NFL Hall of Fame good in high school. Went to a small school, had a solid college career, but, but wasn't even sure about his chances making the NFL until his senior year. Then drafted in the third round, and that was exactly the start he needed. From there, one of the most dominant athletes in the NFL of all time. Some think of T.O. for his touchdown celebrations or the media headlines. I think of Terrell Owens as flat out one of the greatest of all time. Terrell, welcome to the Icons by Motiversity. What an honor. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I mean, I don't, it's not often that, you know, you consider an icon, especially when uh, in today's era and then even, you know, past and present, you think about, you know, so many great, great athletes and, in a number of different sports. And so um, when you talk about, uh, you know, being one of the icons or some of the greatest, um, you think about sports, there's only hand, a handful of those um, those people um, in all those sports across the country. So um, I've heard that, you know, uh, a number of years uh, now that I've uh, made it to the Hall of Fame, cemented really kind of my career and uh, established a legacy. So I appreciate it uh, so very, very much. But uh, obviously, like I said, it's very humbling. Uh, and it's very gratifying, too, um, especially when I look back on my career and, and how I started um, and really kind of how it ended and kind of like how I am now and uh, where I am now and how really, you know, people 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 perceive me. So uh, to think of myself as an icon or, you know, one of the greatest uh, is something that really um, I never saw in a million years. Now let's talk about before you were known to the world as this football superstar. What was life like? What was what was what were you like growing up in small town, Alabama? I think, you know, people that have followed my career, um, you know, Alabama, Alexander City, Alabama. Um, it's a small town. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, south of uh, uh, Birmingham, north of Montgomery, uh, Alabama. Uh, I was raised by my grandmother uh, and my mom um, to a much of a, a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, they didn't know that I was raised by my grandmother. I uh, didn't have a father uh, in my life. Uh, pretty much majority of my, uh, really my upbringing. And with my grandmother, she was a very strict, you know, uh, disciplinarian. She was an old school type of lady. Uh, grew up in the, you know, kind of the, the segregation era um, where, you know, you think about what we've gone through as a country over this last year, um, some of the things that she taught me, some of the things that, you know, she witnessed and experienced, um, you know, having to really uh, go to uh, restaurants that were only in, in restrooms that were, you know, dedicated only to black people and dedicated only to white people. Um, I heard a lot of how she was raised and what she experienced growing up. And um, really, she kind of just uh, really instilled a lot of who I am as a person and how I was able to really conduct conduct myself 
um, and just be the man that I am today. So I, I owe a whole lot, um, you know, tremendous uh, respect in how she, uh, you know, basically raised me. Um, and when you talk about um, how I was able to really sustain and flourish um, through all the things that, you know, I went through uh, growing up, I think that I think the common denominator or the basis in which I was able to do a lot of those things was based on my faith. Um, and so uh, definitely went to um, you know, church every Sunday. Uh, my grandmother, I mean, she made sure that was something that uh, she wanted us to, 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 to really do um, and really understand the basis on how we survive um, each and every day. Um, we don't just wake up and uh, go to bed every night, you know, like we like we have batteries. Uh, but there's, you know, obviously a method to everybody's uh, madness. Uh, we all, I think, uh, have a spiritual uh, or a higher being that we kind of succumb to. Um, so for me, my faith was uh, was everything. And I think um, that was very instrumental into a lot of my success. And a lot of people, OK, well, what is faith? What does that mean to you? Uh, faith is belief in something that seems impossible um, or that doesn't seem possible. Um, and so for me, um, there was, you know, my, my path to the success that I had, it didn't come easy. Um, I was one of those kids that was a late bloomer. Um, I wasn't a four or five star uh, kid or an athlete coming out of high school. Uh, I wasn't heavily or highly recruited uh, going into college. And so I relied a lot of, a lot on really um, a lot of the things that my grandmother instilled in me. And obviously faith was one of those. And so um, obviously as, as kids grow up, um, you're going to get bigger, faster and stronger. Um, some kids are really, uh, you know, just really highly uh, talented, uh, really gifted um, more so than others. Um, I just didn't happen to have those gifts early on. And that's why I say I was a late bloomer. And again, I just tried to, to build on what I had. I was always competitive. Uh, I played a number of sports. I was one of those kids that liked to play any and everything uh, because I was competitive in high school. I played four sports. I lettered in all of them. Um, aside from football, I played basketball. I ran track and I played baseball. And so in the South, um, that's what we do. We eat, breathe um, and, and, and drink and sleep um, football and sports. And so I was one of those kids. Like I said, I wasn't uh, your four or five star athlete. Um, but nobody would ever know that. Obviously, when you look at how my career ended and look at who I played with and played at the highest level in the National Football League. I love that idea of belief in the impossible. When, when, uh, when did you start to believe in the impossible? When did you feel like I got a shot at this NFL thing? When did that really take hold of you? I didn't really know, honestly. Probably like once I got to the National Football League, once I got drafted coming out of college, um, I was drafted in the third round, 89th pick. Um, I remember being drafted by the Niners uh, my first year um, going into going into training camp. We were in Rockland, uh, California. Um, and that's where, like I said, I, I was there with, you know, and played with, you know, a very storied franchise in the Niners. Um, when you think about uh, Super Bowl championships at that time, I think what, what five championships um, playing with the great. Uh, Steve Young, um, prior to that, um, they had Joe Montana, obviously Jerry Rice. Um, my rookie year, they were coached by George Seifert, uh, who's obviously a Hall of Fame great coach uh, as well. And so for me, it was a bit overwhelming. But as I uh, progressed throughout training camp and training camp, probably that was probably one of the hardest things that, you know, I had gone through at that time 
uh, in comparison to the training camps that are now uh, being implemented. We had two a days and it was, you know, out in Rockland, it was, it averaged probably like, probably like a hundred, 105 degrees uh, every day. So just to just think about just doing that twice a day um, with maybe a few hours, a couple of hours of sleep in between those practices. Um, it was very, very tough. It was brutal. Um, I remember those days, um, but that was where I think my character, I think a lot of character was built um, because again, at that age, uh, being a, being a young guy, being a rookie, um, seeing guys as training camp progress week by week. And then as they began to make cuts um, as the season um, uh, approached, um, you saw guys get cut left and right. And so I, I saw guys that were drafted free agents that had come in. They were coming and going every day. Um, and I felt like I was no different or better than any of those guys that were getting cut. When I saw guys that were, you know, that I felt was better than me get cut. Um, yeah, it, it, it made for a very intense and overwhelming environment for me. So um, I just kept pressing and pressing and uh, just kept forging uh, ahead and, and things started to work out for me um, as the season approached. And uh, my coaches kind of just pulled me to the side because there were some days where I kind of hit the wall. Um, I struggled, you know, uh, catching the ball, remembering routes. Um, the playbook with the Niners, I mean, it looked like I, I think I remember telling the reporter, it was it it reminded me of a cookbook, uh, very uh, con considering what I came from uh, with a couple of pages uh, of, of my playbook in, in Chattanooga. So uh, it was very, very extensive, extensive. Uh, the terminology was very uh, confusing at times, um, challenging at times. But uh, like I said, at the end of the day, uh, I end up uh, getting through it. And my coaches, they helped me through it. They saw the potential, um, understanding that when I came out, um, they, I had the prototypical body of some of the receivers that they've had, uh, there in San Francisco prior to me being there, they had some great receivers aside from Jerry Rice. They had John Taylor. They had, I think Mike Sherrard, um, the year, uh, before I got drafted, they had the, the number one receiver that played at UCLA. They drafted him, uh, first pick, I think in 95, JJ Stokes. And so these are the type of guys that I had to, to learn from. Physically, I think that that would be, you know, a, a quick observation people could make. You came out as this physical prototype, but I think what we underestimate sometimes is your mindset and, and the character it took to come out of a small school, hit the NFL and, and be a late bloomer and to rise up. What do you think, if you think about that idea of skill set and mindset, what's your edge over everyone else? I think no different than anybody else, but I'm sure a lot of athletes that have, you know, obviously achieved an amount of success i think when their doubt creeps in or there's naysayers or there's doubters i think the the best thing that i ever did i ever did obviously i think was believe in myself uh that's first and foremost um yeah and i think uh for me i just be it, it i saw and i listened to what the coach you know uh, said and they saw in me which was uh, a lot of potential um and i just wanted to build on that and so um, with me, I think, you know, if I didn't have the the, the coaches that pushed me, um, pushed me beyond really kind of, I think, my own limits or my own expectations, I don't think that I would have become uh, the receiver that I became. Um, I don't think I would have uh, been this guy that became T.O. Um, obviously, like I said, when you talk about uh, physically, I fit the description um, of 
of, of an athlete. I fit the description of one of those physically uh, imposing receivers, uh, I guess, became a poster child for prototypical receivers that came after me. Because um, if you look at the, 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 the transition uh, of the receiver position before me and after me, they started to become bigger, faster, and stronger. Uh, you think of guys like uh, Calvin Johnson, they called him Megatron. You think of uh, uh, Julio Jones, you know, these are big body uh, type of receivers that possess, you know, not only just, uh, you know, the hands and catch radius, um, but we think about the speed and the power of these guys. That I think that's something that people marvel at, marvel at as they saw the progression um, each and every year um, that I played in the National Football League. And I think after my third year in the league, after I made the, the catch against the Green Bay Packers, I think that instilled uh, a lot of confidence in myself that I could play and I could play on a big stage. Um, it didn't, it didn't start out particularly well, but that's where the cliche statement, uh, the, 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 the cliche, um, I guess, statement um, comes of, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so for me, that mindset of just not wanting to quit, not wanting to succumb to uh, just the ebbs and flow uh, of, of the game and, uh, you know, disappointment, um, having short term memory. Um, nobody's perfect. You're going to have those days. Some days you're going to have it. Some days you, you're not. And it's the great ones that look beyond that, that, that mistake and just have short term memory and go to the next, that, no, go to the next play as if the bad play just didn't happen. Um, that's where you have a small percentage of, of, of great athletes in every sport. Um, you have your average, you have your good, and you have your great. And so uh, there's a f- little small percentage in a window uh, of athletes uh, that really go beyond, um, you know, the stratosphere of just being just good and allowing just your athletic, your athletic ability and talent um, take you to where you want to. Um, athletic ability, it can only take you so far. But when you think about some of the great athletes and in so many sports, and I, 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 I think the perfect examples, I think for me, it's because I love basketball. You think about a lot of these kids, um, they go from high school to the pros. And obviously, that's not the case now. You only have you have to go one year. But just think about the kids that went go from high school to, to the pros. You think about uh, your Kevin Garnett. You think about your Kobe Bryant, uh, your LeBron James, um, Michael Jordan. He's one of the greatest uh, he didn't go from uh, high school to college. I mean, high school to the pros, but he's considered, you know, obviously the greatest of, of all time. But when you think about what Michael Jordan did as setting the blueprint, especially for a guy like Kobe, he, who was a, at that point when he was alive, he was a living carbon copy of one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Uh, you think about what LeBron has done. Uh, he lived up to the expectations, lived up to the potential in which a lot of scouts and owners and GMs um, pegged him as. And so uh, that's why you look at Steph Curry. That's why you see these guys, they enhance upon their abilities and their their potential. And, then, and, and when you look at scouts and how they grade or evaluate talent, sometimes these scouts are way off base. Look at the, If you go back and look at some of the scouting reports of a guy like Steph Curry, uh, who's a small frame, Another guy, Kevin Durant, they said these guys were were not going to make it in the league. It was going to be tough. But these are some of the guys that are, I mean, they're lighting it up every night, uh, making it to uh, beyond the expectations of, you know, the playoffs, getting to the finals. Look at what Kevin Durant has done, even after the Achilles injury. 
not to mention, you know, one of the greatest, uh, you know, basketball players, uh, you know, in LeBron James. Uh, look at what uh, Michael Jordan did. Um, so, again, when you think about these guys, um, these guys enhance their abilities. They go beyond and they exceed expectations because uh, it's that mindset of wanting to be great. Um, I think it's I think Kobe said it best. And I think a lot of athletes uh, that are, you know, hovering around that stratosphere of, of being great and considered one of the greatest is that it's a relentless pursuit of greatness. You mentioned the idea of belief in yourself. And one of the things about what we do is we, we attract a lot of people who are, are pursuing that belief in themselves. And some days they're on the right side of it and some days they're not on the right side of it. But you talk about as you started to believe more and more in yourself, if you were to talk to somebody who right now who's, who's struggling in that regard, what would you say to somebody who needs to believe in themselves? Uh, probably would say just take advantage of the opportunities um, that you're given um, and I think it'll take it'll take you further than you can ever imagine if you just stay on course. Um, you know, I think for me personally, I, I what set me apart, I think, from everyone else is that my dedication and my discipline and just the execution of being consistent is what put me in a different stratosphere, just put me on a, a different level. And I think people were able to see that um, sometimes, like I said. I didn't want to just blend in. I wanted to stand out. And so even with my daughter, who's playing volleyball now, um, she was, I mean, she, right now she's a better athlete than I, honestly, than I was in high school. Um, she Now she plays, uh, she, she's going into her senior year, um, but she she plays volleyball. Um, she she was playing on the varsity varsity uh, volleyball team as a freshman. And I, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about her and what she's able to accomplish. And I want to instill the confidence in her and, and really just share with her what she, what she's accomplishing and what she's doing, because that doesn't happen all the time. When I was in high school, there were a couple of athletes on our football team, basketball team that played at the varsity level as freshmen and sophomores. That's that's a sign of greatness. That's something that's potential. That's that's showing that showing you that you have ability that's well beyond where you are. And so for me uh, and anybody else, um, that's how you can measure yourself. Measure. You have to be realistic and measure yourself against, uh, you know, kids, your peers and really, uh, you know, you know, peers that are a little bit better than you. And so for me, um, that's what I did. And, and I saw that I wasn't as great as everybody else. I was a realist. And I knew that I had to put a little bit of more, uh, a little bit uh, of, of extra work uh, in order to get on their level, because I knew that I was a late bloomer. Um, I figured it out. Like, yeah, I was a late bloomer, but competitively inside, I had the mindset that I was just as good as they were. Uh, but coaches obviously saw it different uh, because they're uh, they're better at evaluating talent uh, and, and skill set um, than I than I did. Because obviously, we're going to think highly uh, of ourselves and, and want to put ourselves in you know on the same uh, plateau as some of our, our teammates and peers or what have you. But um, that was just something that I that I wanted to. Uh, to accomplishing. And so my daughter, like I said, she's accomplishing something well beyond what I did as a, as a freshman, sophomore, uh, a junior in high school. And at the end of the day, I think what made me who I am is that I had a strong dissatisfaction at, at, at where I was as an athlete, um, you know, starting out. Strong dissatisfaction with where I was at as an athlete. That's, that's unreal.
you talk about discipline, I mean, we still see it. We still see the way you can still step on the football field at 47 and, and literally light it up. Um, take us into your daily routines. How do you stay as disciplined as you are? As I said earlier, I think you just have to be consistent. Um, consistency is key. Not only just, um, I didn't, I, I realized that not only in just uh, an athlete, uh, just in athletics or sports or what have you, um, but it's very key in, in, in every aspect of your life. And I think um, sports and outside of sports, uh, business, um, just even in personal relationships or just uh, just establishing, um, you know, a rapport, a bond, even with family, communication, consistency uh, is key with anything. But I think, like I said, the most part, uh, the best part uh, about it and the most important part is communication. Um, and so I started to realize that um, later on, um, as my career progressed, um, if you communicate and uh, know how and understand how to uh, communicate with, you know, uh, your peers, coaches, um, and, and be receptive um, to a constructive criticism, um, then I think you, you give your, yourself an opportunity to grow. Um, not only as a person, but as an athlete at the same time, because there's there's always communication in in everything that that we do. And I think if there's a a, a great um, I guess rapport or uh, great lines uh, lines of communication um, where it's harmonious and uh, and I think being able to listen um, instead of so being so quick to to respond or speak. Um, then I think, you know, things will, you know, you'll see a lot of things a lot clearer. Yeah. And that ability to kind of reflect, you know, if I think about growing up watching you play, uh, I remember a couple of the big moments and I remember when it started to feel like the, um, the hype was growing too. When you look back on the celebrations, the way you were on the field, do you feel like that elevated you? Was that part of what made you as good as you are? Or do you see it in a different way looking back? Yeah, I think it motivated myself. I, I honestly, I internally um, motivated myself because, you know, I, I realized as I started to uh, really score touchdowns and my touchdown celebrations became a topic of discussion, um, you know, I thought it was something positive, but when commentators and analysts started to uh, really, really create this narrative that I was being selfish or I was taking, uh, taken away from the team concept or, you know, making it all about me or becoming selfish. Um, honestly, I, I didn't take that very well. Um, I didn't think that that's what I was doing. Um, and so for me, I could have allowed that outside noise of that criticism uh, manifest and really, um, really deterred me from really doing what I really wanted to do and be productive on the football field. If I would have allowed that to really um, eat at me um, and, and, and not allow myself to be who I was on the football field, then it could have been disastrous. It could have been like pretty much, it could have made or break, you know, who I was uh, as a talent um, and could have made or break really my career. But I think it all, like I said, it all stemmed from, you know, how I was raised and my grandmother and the things that she taught me. Um, she basically told you, yeah, people, when you start to become successful, um, they're going to people, you're not going to be hundred percent liked by everyone. And so I didn't, there was so, there's so many layers and so many elements of being a professional athlete and, and being in that sport. 
Um, you're going to be subjected to criticism, you know, whether you do good or bad. And people are going to talk about you uh, good, bad or what have you. But you have to be strong, uh, strong willed. And I think that's who and how I was. And I think a lot of that, like I said, stemmed from my the, the upbringing of my grandmother. Um, but at the end of the day, I think an athlete, again, to get to where you want to be and the process in which it takes to get there, you have to be addicted to bettering yourself. You literally, you have to be, you have to be addicted to bettering yourself. And that's what I became. I became addicted to the process of, of the success that stemmed from my off-season workouts. Once I got a personal trainer after my third year, um, it was very different in my approach and things that I had ever done since high school and college. Um, but I was receptive to that because I hired him as, as my personal trainer. Um, you know, we had that dialogue, we sat down and we talked about what I wanted to accomplish, not only just from a football standpoint, um, at that point in time, going into my fourth year, but what did I, what did I want to accomplish with my workouts? What did I want to get better at? What did I, uh, what did I, from a, from a physical standpoint, how did I want to get better? Um, he asked me, um, you know, assess your body. What do you what do you want? What do you want to get out of these workouts? And so for me, I was a skinny, scrawny kid. Yeah, I had I was yeah six three frame uh, coming out of college. And at this time, you know, three third three years into the league, yeah, I was physically imposing, but I wasn't satisfied at where I was at that point um, in my third year, going into my fourth year. Yeah, I had come off one of the biggest game, made one of the biggest plays catches um, in my career. Um, at that time, you know, considered one of the biggest catches, I guess, monu moment, mom monumental, uh, monumental uh, type of uh, catches in 49 history after the after the catch, you know, by by Dwight Clark. And my catch was, you know, kind of pegged. I kind of pegged it myself as the catch too, uh, considering, you know, wild card game, um, you know, uh, really a rivalry over the years between San Francisco, Green Bay Packers, um, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks now in Brett Favre, Steve Young. Um, and so, like I said, I played in a, in a very monumental uh, game where the stakes were high, wild card game. It, the game honestly went down, almost down to the last seconds. Um, so that's something, again, like I said, uh, that, that catapulted me to be where I am today. That was monumental. I remember it. I remember seeing it. I remember the emotion. I think it's hard to even get a snapshot of what it felt like at that time, the pressure cooker of that game in that moment. And uh, that was unreal. I, I, you know, something else jumps out to me. And I remember, I also remember the narrative of is, is T.O. selfish or selfless? And, and there was quite a bit of confusion in that. If we go back to that Super Bowl of your, your only Super Bowl, and I think about the selflessness that it took for you to play the way you played. Um, can you walk us into that Super Bowl? Because I, I think this is where, in some ways, you're misunderstood. I think the selflessness of the way you dedicated yourself to your game, to your team, to your teammates, uh, to big moments. Can you walk us into what it took to play, essentially on a broken leg, five weeks after getting pins in it? To me, one of the iconic moments that I can remember in sports. What was that time like for you? It's something that I've had to adjust to as yeah. I, uh, as I guess I was on my path to stardom. And I had two receiver coaches, three receiver coaches um, throughout the course of my career. 
uh, that were very, very instrumental and in really just pushing me really kind of beyond the limits of what they thought I could become. They saw it. And sometimes even I had doubt that I could be, you know, considered at the end of the day, one of the greatest receivers of all time. Like I played with Jerry Rice, you know, coming out of Chattanooga in, in, in 96, you know, third round, you know, 89th pick. I had no idea at the end of the day, you know, 15 years later that I would be second all time, second, third all time, um, you know, in statistics um, behind, like I said, the greatest of all time when I, there were so many guys uh, that played at, you know, uh, power five schools, you know, definitely uh, first, second round guys that got drafted before me. Uh, honestly, I really, I really had no idea, um, which, you know, like I said, when you think about some of the things that I've accomplished, um, you know, the Super Bowl was one of those one of those games. I said, you know, obviously to play in the Super Bowl, um, that's a big accomplishment in itself. Um, it wasn't the Super Bowl that I envisioned considering um, the injury that I had sustained probably six and a half, seven weeks prior to the Super Bowl. When um, a lot of people, even, you know, doctors across the country um, basically said that there was no way I would have played in that Super Bowl uh really considering the, the injury that I had sustained. And so I tore all pretty much all the ligaments in my right ankle. Uh, I ended up uh, finding out the next day after the game that I had broke my fibula. Um, and I ended up having to have uh, two screws and a plate inserted into my ankle uh, just for stability, um, just to help with the healing process. And so literally after that, I think it was mid-December um, when I had, uh, when the injury occurred and um, honestly, like I said, you know, we had two, I think two more games uh, to go in the regular season. Um, and then we had obviously we made the playoffs and then we had to play two playoff games uh, to get ultimately get to the Super Bowl. And so I went into surgery the next day. Um, the training staff there with the Eagles, um, you know, obviously they gave uh, gave me a lot of confidence and basically put me really kind of on the an aggressive rehab program. Um, and basically, you know, they, they knew what type of person that I was uh, from a mental standpoint. Um, my mindset of obviously wanting to uh, get to the Super Bowl. Um, they brought me there in hopes of, uh, you know, me helping the team get there. And I think with what I brought from a mental standpoint, a swag standpoint, um, aside from really what I, my production and the things that, you know, how I carried myself in the football field, uh, that enabled them to really, to uh, really play those games, especially going into the playoffs, you know, without me, I think I instilled, you know, my, my work ethic uh, on, on some, of, and it rubbed off on some of the receivers. I think the swag and, and what I had, you know, brought uh you know throughout the season um that carried them into the playoffs and you know I remember coming back from surgery the day after surgery and I did a radio interview and so obviously everybody wanted to uh really kind of get an update on how the surgery went um they wanted to kind of get a feel of my thoughts on um really that the possibility of me pl playing in the Super Bowl and I remember very very vividly uh the guy asking me you know, um, what were my thoughts and did I think I was going to uh, play in the Super Bowl? And again, I keep talking about my faith and that's what I relied on. Um, and I tell you, you know, me playing, uh, being, I guess, a day removed from surgery, um, knowing that the Super Bowl was six and a half, seven weeks uh, away. Um, I'm pretty sure probably a lot of people probably doubt it. I mean, the city of Philadelphia, they doubt it. I'm sure that I would have been ready. Um, but that's where, again, 
the things that, you know, my grandmother instilled in me and how I was raised, um, you know, that what that was what went into my answer. And I told them, I was like, yo, I said, if the team, uh, when they win or if they make it to the playoffs, they make it to the Super Bowl. I told him with no hesitation. I said, I'll be ready. Um, and again, that was uh, that was a lot, um, you know, in that statement, considering I just uh, I just had come out of surgery. Um, the injury that I had sustained, they said it was literally uh, it's a it was a three to four month, um, you know, type of recovery uh, or injury. And so I only had six and a half, seven weeks. I didn't know that at the time, but I, I had like six and a half, seven weeks uh, to get ready for the Super Bowl. And I put all that I had into it to, to do that. And everything that I had done up until that point, you know, throughout the course of my career, when you talk about how I took care of my body, when I, you know, the nutrition, um, just the body maintenance throughout the course of the season, um, that that's what goes into becoming a great athlete. Um, there's a lot of talented people. And again, like I said, talent can only take you so far. Um, you know, it, it will sustain you to a certain point. But there are things that you have to do that elevate your game, uh, that elevate your game, um, not just, you know, from a physical standpoint, um, but mentally, um, there are some guys that are able to really will themselves and do the impossible. And I think I fall in that category. And I know I, I, I joke with one of my, my friends that uh, one of my well, actually my host and who's a good friend on my on my podcast called Get Your Popcorn Ready, uh, Matthew Hatchett, I always uh, you know, mention or put my name in the same breath as some of the some of the greatest basketball players. And I reference them because I love basketball. But I tell them, I said, that's why, you know, uh, I'm, I'm mentioned in the same breath of some of the great players, the greatest athletes like, you know, Kobe Bryant and, and, and Michael Jordan. Uh, you think of like Bo Jackson, um, Steve Young. You think about all these great, great athletes, Deion, Primetime Sanders. But I always say me and Kobe and they was like, what? He said, you're, you're not good as you're not, you can't put yourself in the same category as Kobe. And I said, why? I said, why can't I? And obviously Kobe just got into the Hall of Fame. And I said, now I can say, yeah, Kobe's in the Hall of Fame. I'm in the Hall of Fame. You know, only the great ones, you know, some of the greatest are the ones that are considered the greatest or or or, or, or in the Hall of Fame. Or in this case, when you talk about icon, iconic uh, type of players, I said, I, I'm in the category. And for those that, you know, don't consider me the GOAT, you know, obviously, you know, obviously the GOAT is, you know, can, you know that's the greatest of all time. I think it's, it's, it's a singular thing. But when you talk about the GOAT, or you're talking about the greatest of all time, I try to tell people, I take it from a, 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 from a lyric. I may not be considered the GOAT in some people's eyes, but if you look at me and you look at my highlight, I definitely fit the description. I'd say you definitely fit the description. Do you feel like you're remembered accurately in your career? Um, I think, no, I think uh, I was inaccurate and unfairly uh, portrayed as, you know, you talked about, or you described as, as you know, um, you know, some of what I could be pegged as, or, you know, my approach to certain things or how people perceive me. Um, it could have been selfish or selfless. And so a lot of people put me in that selfish category. But I think when you look at around the league and um, if you were to do, I guess, a, a poll or do some research on, you know, how people perceive me, you know, uh, away from, you know, against me or play with me uh, on the same team. Um, and even just the approach of the, you know, creating the narrative going into my first uh, nomination of the, of the Hall of Fame. 
um, they created this narrative that I was a, a bad teammate, um, and, which was, you know, truly and uh, obviously surely unfair. And the media basically created that and they ran with it. And so when you think about the criteria in which guys are obviously nominated and ultimately inducted into the Hall of Fame, there's a host of writers that vote. Uh, they get to vote you in. And a number of these guys never played sports in their lives. And so there's, a, I think, a committee of probably like 48, 46 or 48. And of those uh, people that, that vote the, the athletes into the Hall of Fame, only two uh, or athletes or that played in the National Football League. And I don't and like I said, I, I, I made my statement by, you know, uh, not going to the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony there in Canton, Ohio, because of the disrespect, uh, because of, you know, uh, the, the I guess the, the misperception uh, of who I was um, as as really an athlete and as a person, not really as an athlete, but as a person, I think I was mischaracterized. And if you think about it, I think when you look at what I've done and you look at my highlights, I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves. Um, some people get, I guess, more credit than I do for whatever reason because of, uh, I guess, how they perceive and how the media perceive them. Um, but if you think about some of the things that I've done, you look at my my career statistics um, from, I guess, from a different optic or vantage standpoint, um, and you compare it to some of the greatest of all time and how they consider some people better than me or greater than me, I think overall my character speaks speaks volumes. And I think at the end of the day, uh, I would rather be uh, recognized and, um, and really put in consideration for my character rather than, uh, rather than the, uh, the reputation that, that precedes me. So um, for me, um, I know it's, uh, it's one of those things that's always going to be brought up um, and always going to be said is that, oh, well, if he hadn't done this or he hadn't done that, then people would talk about him in a different light. Um, or maybe he would be considered, you know, uh, when, you know, as one of the greatest when 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 talking about that or that subject's brought up. But it's always something brought up about off the field issues in which I have none. Um, so at the end of the day, um, I'm proud of what I've accomplished, um, regardless, uh, like I said, of what people have said about me, what, how people perceive me. Um, and like I said, I think if you just take the, some steps back, you know, if you're a fan or uh, somebody trying to assess, you know, or, or compare my. Uh, my career, um, then all you got to do is just, you know, step back, you know, a little bit um, on, on uh, you know, not be biased uh, for, for whatever reason and really just truly assess my body of work. And I say and that that speaks volumes for me. Speaks volumes. I mean, I mean, we started the show by calling you iconic. And I think that justifies the body of work that you put in. I want to take that idea of just being misunderstood. I just want to touch on that because we have a lot of people who will listen to this show and, and that's how they feel right now. And it comes with a weight. It comes with, I mean, when you feel that way in life, regardless of what your, your stadium is, uh, it, it's hard. What would you say to somebody who's feeling misunderstood right now and just needs to find a way to keep going? Well, at the end of the day, you talk, I think, you know, it's, it's, we're all at some point in life, we're all going to struggle. And I think that's what you're getting to. We're always, we're going to be confronted with something. There's going to be some obstacles um, that we feel that, you know, we can't over overcome or when you're on your path to success, there's always going to be those roadblocks here and there. Um, it, it's just, it's a part of life. Um, and I think that's what's so rewarding when we do uh, achieve what we achieve is because of those failures, because of those struggles, because of those roadblocks. Uh, those roadblocks can 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 
come in different forms. It can be uh, it can be your own mental roadblocks. It could be uh, just outside criticism. It could be media. It could be anything. It could be personal problems. It could be family problems. Um, it could be something as simple as you driving, you know, uh, you're on a path, you're feeling good and you're driving somewhere and you, you get a flat tire. Uh, I mean, anything can, can, can trigger you and to try to get you off track. Those are struggles. Um, and then just from an athletic standpoint, um, that's going to happen. Uh, and it's always, it, it's, it's really how you respond to it. Um, I'm not saying anything that nobody else has said, especially that has become successful, whether it's in business, uh, personal, uh, it's in sports. But at the end of the day, we're all going to struggle. I struggled, but I didn't quit. And that's what I encourage a lot of people to do. Just don't quit. And then we talk about just the criticism, and, and especially if you're an athlete. And I know mental health and awareness, that's big now. Think about what Naomi Osaka uh, has gone through. Um, look at, you know, obviously with Shakara Richardson, um, we don't know how that's going to affect her right now. Um, there are so many people, Kevin Love. I mean, there's, there's so, many, so many athletes that are struggling with mental health um, that are, you know, some some athletes are brave enough to talk about it. But there's I guarantee you there's a number of athletes that don't have they don't have that that strength to to come forward. They're just going to try to deal with it, uh, how they feel to, to deal with it. Um, but at the end of the day. Um, just, just don't give up. That's what I would say. And especially with these, uh, with these athletes, especially, you know, uh, Naomi Osaka, um, you know, I, I, I think I chimed in, I commented on once I, you know, heard what they did to her, um, um, with her dealing with the media and how she approached it. Um, they don't know how she feels. And I think, I think instead of them rejecting her, I think they should embrace her. Uh, embrace her because I think yeah, the tennis world, um, they, 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 I guess the, the committee, I guess that ruled her or wanted to find her for whatever, and which caused her to, re, to withdraw uh, from that tournament. I think at the end of the day, the tennis world, the fans, they missed out more than anything. And for obviously for Naomi, uh, Naomi, it wasn't about money because clearly, like I said, she won, she had won that first match and so, yeah, she could have extended or she could have dealt with it. But obviously, her mental health is more important than, a, than, than the dollar. And I think that's priceless. And so people are going to judge you. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to gossip about you. But I, I encourage people to really be strong-willed to, to know that their opinions don't matter. Uh, their opinions are not your problem. No matter what is said or done, do not doubt your worth. And I think that's what Naomi has done. I think obviously with the outpour of support, uh, I think it reinforced um, to her and reiterated that she made the right decision. And I think once everybody, again, uh, like I said, if you're not an athlete and you don't know what it's like to, to, to deal with the pressures, and I know we have a responsibility as athlete to deal with what's going to come with it, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, but every athlete is different. Um, no two people are the same or alike, and, and that's why you see some people are able to really uh, rise above and beyond um, their circumstances, and there are some people that can't handle it, but that doesn't mean that they can't be great. They just have to approach it and deal with it the way that they feel uh, needed. Terrell, I think that's really powerful. Like, I think when I think about your legacy, you know, there's the game, and we've got the highlights, I and mean, we got our popcorn ready. We saw what you did. But I think that this message that that just um, 
you know, that idea of when we don't necessarily understand someone, we can reject them or accept them. And I think that that message right now, boy, does that need to come through loud and clear. And I think I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, you have had have a relentless pursuit uh, of really just perfection, greatness. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think anybody that wants to become or be do something, do something in life. Obviously, it boils down to my three D's desire, dedication and, and discipline. But at the end of the day, the essence of what I just said, you have to be addicted to bettering yourself. Honestly, be addicted to bettering yourself, not for anybody else uh, or anything else. You have to be addicted to bettering yourself if you want to achieve the level of success that you ultimately want to uh, achieve. I, I feel like this has been a masterclass in the mindset it takes to be great. In case your clothing line does come out, can you just... Give us a you know thirty second overview of what it is or why somebody might want to take a look at it. Um, yeah, so my clothing line is called Prototype Eighty One, um, and I th- obviously you have the clips to you know, of what that means and how I came up with the nine. I came up with the line, um, but yeah, my my clothing line it, it's unisex for men and women. Um, I'm going to have a small, really a small collection uh, for kids called Prototype Eighty One Kids that will obviously fall under the umbrella of of, of the line. But when you think of hoodies, joggers, crop tops, leggings, uh, tees with some of my, you know, some of my quotes, of, um, you know, get your popcorn ready. I love me some me. Um, just some really, I guess, uh, unique uh, prints um, that kind of reflects my career. And you think about my career, obviously it's unique, it's different. Um, I think it's, it's kind of just, uh, I guess, I wouldn't say out there, um, but just just different um, and and. When I chose some of the prints, uh, things of that nature for my clothing line, um, that's what you want to go. That's what you're going to get. And it's fashion forward at the same time. So uh, I think, you know, that's something that I think that I embody. I think when you watch my career, um, obviously I was different. Um, I stood out. I didn't blend in. And so that's what my clothing line does as well, even with some of the prints um, that I that I have with my clothing line and just with the design uh, aspect of it. Um, you know, there's a number of brands um, that are saturating the market. Everybody's coming out with clothing lines or whatever. But what makes mine different, like I said, it's a reflection of who I am and, and my career. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be different. Obviously, like I said, there's a number of brands out there. Um, pretty much everything is kind of the, si- the same. But again, aesthetically, um, you know, uh, that's where you kind of separate yourself. Uh, from the others. And uh, that's what I've done with my clothing line. Uh, I've had a great, uh, great help with a designer uh, that have helped me uh, along the way uh, to help bring my idea, my dream to fruition. The things that I've done, especially when we talk about clothing lines, I mean, I've modeled, I've been on TV, I've done commercials, um, everything that my, you know, my mom wanted to do, um, you know, her dreams got cut short, having, having kids at an early age, um, everything that I, I think that I'm doing, she's vicariously uh, kind of living through me. So um, that's what I feel like for me is success because, um, you know, she's able to kind of smile from afar uh, at what and marvel at some of the things that I've done. And it gives me a really inspiration and motivation to do to do what I'm doing. Um, as I said, with the clothing line, the candle line, um, these are things, like I said, that, you know, obviously my mom wanted to do. And so I'm doing these things. Uh, not only just as as a passion and it's in my my DNA for myself, but I'm making my my my, my family, especially my mom, proud uh, at the same time. Love that.
Terrell Owens, the icon. We appreciate it. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for having me.